Bush knows the Carlisle Group since years before Been raking in billions and itching for more It's blood for oil, we know there's a link They say code war, we say code pink It's blood for oil, we know there's a link They say code war, we say code pink Code pink for freedom Code pink for peace This is Carly Town with the Divest from the War Machine campaign at Code Pink, and you are listening to Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, D.C. If this is your first time joining us, Code Pink is a women's-led anti-war organization that is organizing across the country to put a stop to U.S.-funded militarism around the world. We're here to challenge imperialism, capitalism, and war with the goal of creating a world of justice, peace, and equality. Achieving justice requires that each and every one of us joins together in solidarity to demand a better world. It requires us to understand that the struggle against US imperialism is also a struggle against police brutality and anti-immigrant animus. The anti-war movement is also a struggle for peace. And we can't have peace if we don't advocate for workers' rights, women's rights, environmental justice, and racial justice. If you're listening to this show, you've already taken the first step in being part of a movement for all of these struggles. Before we get into today's show, let's talk a little bit more about some important news that's happened over the past week. The House of Representatives is now debating the National Defense Authorization Act, also referred to as the NDAA which is legislation that would approve a $780 billion Pentagon budget for 2022. We can't allow our representatives to approve such a bloated budget. It's critical that we act now. There's a bipartisan push to increase the Pentagon budget. Yeah, even after officially ending the deadly war in Afghanistan that cost us over $2 trillion, our representatives still want to throw more money toward the destructive U.S. war machine. And members of Congress across both aisles have pockets awash with cash from lobbyists who work for military contractors. And this week, as Congress debates this important legislation, those same lobbyists will be working overtime to sneak as much extra money into the final NDAA for these same companies as possible. And we're never going to match the dollars from the lobbyists. So if we're going to win, we actually need people like you and me Um, to pressure our politicians into voting the right way. The good news is we can still cut the Pentagon budget. Representatives Barbara Lee and Mark Pocan introduced an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act to slash the Pentagon budget by 10%. You can go to www.cutthepentagon.org slash cut10 to take action and call your representative to support this amendment now. In other important news, On Sunday, September 19th, Code Pink joined Answer Coalition in Los Angeles to disrupt noted war criminal George W. Bush, who was in town to promote his new book. Answer member Mike Preisner disrupted the event where attendees paid upwards of $600 a ticket to see him speak. Um, I had the opportunity to also speak at this event, and I wanted to share a few words from that speech 
because I think it's incredibly important as we come to the end of the war on terror to also remember uh, the legacy of George W. Bush and continue to demonstrate to people around the world that we will not forget the war crimes that were committed by him. So without, I just wanted to um, share a few of my thoughts from that day. And so I'll go ahead and do that. So I just said that George W. Bush lied us into deadly wars that have since cost not only countless lives, but trillions of dollars. Many people point to this as hypocrisy, right? George Bush, who's a, a noted fiscal conservative, right, was willing to spend trillions on the war while slashing funding for vital programs at home. But something that's incredibly important, for, especially for the anti-war movement, is to understand that this is not a hypocrisy in the slightest, right? To pour tons of money into the war machine while starving uh, our important public services here at home. Because both of these things exist combat compatibly in the minds of someone like George W. Bush. Because we spent $21 trillion on the war on terror. And of those $21 trillion, 16 trillion went directly to the military including at least $7.2 trillion for private military contractors. So just directly into the pockets of private companies that turn a profit on making war. And what more warmongers like George Bush want is to declare war so we can continue to funnel more and more money into the pockets of these companies whose wealth has only skyrocketed since the beginning of that war on terror. And, you know, they're perfectly comfortable doing this at the expense of everyone else, right? George Bush is totally fine funneling public money into military contractors. And so are presidents after him, warmongers that exist in government now, right? So as we stand here today, two decades after the beginning of the so-called war on terror, this is a moment we really have to seize to do what peacemakers and feminists have really been calling for all along, which is to cut the Pentagon for people, peace, and planet. Um, since the beginning of Code Pink, we've been in the streets and the halls of Congress, using our creativity to disrupt war for profit and destruction. And that's why we're building a big tent to mobilize vigils, marches, sit-ins, teach-ins, demonstrations, and other types of daily direct actions in Washington, D.C. and across the country, wherever we can find war profiteers and weapons manufacturers. And these actions are aimed at exposing the cost of war to all of us. Instead of losing hope and continuing to fund U.S. imperialism, we want to use these grim milestones as the 20th anniversary of 9-11, uh, the longest uh, war in Afghanistan coming to an end, we want to use these grim milestones to expose the lies and drive home the senselessness of obscene war spending with one very clear demand, which is to cut the Pentagon for people, planet, peace, and a future. So you can go to www.cutthepentagon.com to sign up and join this growing movement. Now for today's show. Um, I am so honored and very excited because today I will talk with David Moore, who is the co-founder of Sludge, an investigative newsroom focused on money and politics. David and I will speak about his new article, which details congressional representatives who have personal investments in weapons manufacturers and what we can do about it. So without further ado, let's get right into this important conversation and welcome David Moore from Sludge.
Thank you very much, Carly. And hello to everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate the chance to present this work to you. And I wanted to start off by thanking everyone in the, 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 their interests in these topics. Uh, I think they're often overlooked and I'm glad that um, so many people are interested in the conflicts of interest and the ways in which the military budget continues to uh, inflate and be uh, increased by Congress year after year after year. Uh, our uh, nonprofit news website, Sludge, it's a two-person investigative team, and we're focused on money and politics. We've been publishing for about three years, and we cover some of the ways that uh, powerful special interests advance their agendas without necessarily needing to disclose them in any sort of convenient or timely way. And the topic of today's webinar, I think, is a great example of that, the investments of members of Congress in Pentagon and uh, military contractors. This is information that's not necessarily easy to obtain. Uh, we are, our new site put it together through a process of some data scraping and manual research and i'll briefly show what that looks like to be able to publish the article that's on the front page of our website right now at readsludge.com an updated look at this u.s senators and representatives who personally own their households own stock in some of the top uh, pentagon contractors companies whose names you've heard of like uh, lockheed martin and raytheon I'll briefly start as, you know, as, as some background, you might be saying this is screaming conflict of interest. And in many cases, you'd be right. The phrase that jumps to mind when people hear about this is conflict of interest. Isn't this an ethics violation? How is this possible that members of Congress can personally hold millions of dollars in stock in companies whose budgets they largely approve? And the background is that um, members of Congress are allowed to own stock and securities. Uh, they're allowed to hold it even in companies whose industries they oversee. So someone on uh, a defense committee can own stock and weapons makers. Some of the requirements are that they publish the information in annual reports, which come out as PDFs online. And then whenever they trade stocks, which happens frequently, they would say they conduct a stock transaction, a purchase or a sale. They must report that information within about 45 days. That's not a very timely disclosure window. Um, I'm going to flip on screen share so that <clears throat> I can show an example of what a disclosure form looks like. First, this is the article I'll be running down uh, briefly here. It's right here. It's on the homepage of readsledge.com. This, sharing my screen now, is how a U.S. representative discloses their investments. It can often be in, in, in blurry, almost illegible paper forms. This is permissible under House and Senate rules, according to the rules of each chamber, and it leads to a real lack of public information in what your elected officials are invested in as they make uh, policy and write federal legislation covering everything, not just the military, but also everything from healthcare policy, to the energy industry and the fossil fuel investments and more. But to dial in now on the, on the Pentagon contractors, um, over the last 20 years, of course, the uh, military budget has skyrocketed um, with the, uh, the war in Afghanistan and operations in Pakistan, Iraq, and other countries. Defense analyst Stephen Semler, who publishes a newsletter, uh, uh, found that uh, over the past 20 years, Congress has sent $2 trillion to the top five weapons companies. Um, and these are some of the companies in which uh, members of Congress hold investments without a whole lot of uh, timely public disclosure of what they're holding. 
Sledge's uh, story most recently, uh, coming from just last month, is a follow-up on one of our previous stories, The Members of Congress Should Profit for More, that was published in uh, January 2020 and looked at a previous round of investments. For this story uh, that's now uh, that we're now sharing and discussing, we're it's a comprehensive look at investments in defense contractors in the top 100 defense contractors that's current as of uh, late August when the story was published. This is the first place where you can find these tables here in the, that I'm uh, highlighting here in my, in my screen share. The US senators invested in the defense company stocks with the names of the senators and the stocks that they hold, companies with the names of Raytheon and others, as well as the US House members who hold investments in defense company stocks. You can see the full list here by clicking on those little arrows that are on the, the, the box there. Our top line finding was that nearly four dozen members of Congress, which includes 11 US senators and at least 36 representatives, hold um, up to $6.7 million worth of stock in defense contractors. Many of these, as I mentioned, are companies like uh, weapons makers like Lockheed Martin and Raytheon that receive the vast majority of their revenue, at least 80% of their revenue from defense contracts. Defense contracts that are approved by Congress, first through an, uh, a spending authorization process, and then through an appropriations process where the contracts are signed. Uh, these companies also have opportunities to obtain federal dollars through Homeland Security contracts, and energy uh, contracts as well, which means that there's multiple opportunities for representatives on many committees to be able to uh, allocate, uh, uh, to be able to approve and even appropriate uh, federal dollars to companies um, in which they are personally invested. I'll briefly mention um, a couple of the top stockholders and the full list of course are available here. Uh, in the, in the US Senate, the, the, the two top stockholders in, two are in, in defense companies are both Democrats, Democrat Sheldon Whitehouse and John Hickenlooper, the newly elected Democrat from Colorado. But it's particularly notable that Senator Roy Blunt, the, Repub the, the Missouri Republican who will be retiring from Congress next year, is a member of the defense subcommittee while his spouse holds up to $250,000 in Lockheed Martin. Senator Blunt has been an outspoken cheerleader for Lockheed Martin's troubled F-35 Joint Strike Fighter Program, which has been ballooned in cost to a, to a multiple of its initial estimate and is plagued by delays and issues. Uh, in the US House, um, some uh, Democrats uh, jump to mind as, or sort of, you know, jump up in the, in the stock holdings, uh, including uh, Jerry Connolly of Virginia, who represents a district that includes a defense contractor, Lidos, and Debbie Dingell who holds, uh, of Michigan, who holds stock in Honeywell. But the top stockholders are a pair of Republicans from Texas. The first is Kevin Hearn, one of the over a million dollars. He's actually a chair of a Republican study committee that recommends increasing the defense budget. Um, shocking, I know the phrase shocking always comes to mind. Uh, Representative Kevin Hearn uh, is joined uh, in some of the top stockholdings by Representative Michael McCall, uh, who's also invested in Honeywell, a nuclear weapons contractor. You can see the top companies here. And before I sort of pause for a moment to begin looking over at the chat and uh, taking some questions as well as um, taking some questions from Carly, I'll note that the um, many of the, the defense contractors receive significant amounts of money 
from the Defense Department without much by way of competition. So the defense contracting issue and the way that the military um, continually increases its budget through lobbying of, of key committees, it's also a monopoly issue. Uh, researchers uh, have found that almost half of Pentagon contracts are uh, less than competitively awarded. And Pentagon contracts are typically awarded on a cost basis um, where their overruns are simply paid for out of public funding and out of, out of taxpayer money. The, uh, the total costs of uh, Pentagon contracting eats up almost half the defense budget uh, every year. And uh, as well, the, the, sh the share has been rising um, of, the, of, of the amount that's been going to contractors over the, um, the last several decades. And the, these mammoth uh, figures of hundreds of billions of dollars that go to uh, the Pentagon contractors that Congress you know, provides the money to every year, that's even understating the total amount of money that's spent on militaristic and national uh, security responses. There are some links towards the end of my article to more research that um, where uh, folks can uh, consult and share, which finds that the total national security spending, including other sorts of militaristic spending on law enforcement, totals 1.2 trillion every year, uh, an enormous sum of money that's that's you know ballpark the same as uh, the federal discretionary budget, the entire budget for all the agencies that Congress appropriates every year. So, I have more um, you know figures I can share on individual uh, senators, representatives, trends, and companies. Uh, and I'll be happy to pause now and invite. I'll glance over at the questions and invite Carly to uh, to jump in. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Uh, really great overview, David. I mean, I think most people in the in the webinar are not shocked at these numbers, but also when you see them um, in the levels that you're showing us, it is shocking, right? And I mean, you mentioned that over the past 20 years, right, if you're just looking at the beginning of the sort of so-called war on terror, that the share of our Pentagon budget that goes directly to these private companies has increased. That's that's completely correct. And also we can share um, some really great research from uh, the Costs of War Project where they show that the commercialization, as they call it, of the, of the Pentagon has increased rapidly um, since the beginning of the war on terror. Um, so I have a couple of questions and then I'm gonna get to start getting to some of the great questions in the chat box. Um, but just, just a couple of things from your article that I think are really important. And I think um, people in, from Code Pink would be really interested to hear more about. Um, you know, you mentioned obviously some of the uh, representatives who are personally invested um, in these weapons companies. You know, is there, do you see a, a sort of a pattern um, to who owns these types of stocks? Like, do they tend to be on, these committees that you mentioned that um, allocate funding for the Pentagon budget, right? Like we see that um, Code Pink looks at campaign contributions from weapons contractors, and we see the the chair of the House Armed Services Committee gets significantly more um, than his colleagues. So, um, is that a pattern that you see? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, in the the tables in the article, you can see some of the uh, folks can see some of the relevant um, caucuses and committee affiliations for the different senators and representatives. Um, one sort of uh, one initial anecdotal response that I'll say is that the many members of the Homeland Security committees are uh, invested in 
defense uh, contractors. And especially this includes Democrat Gary Peters of Michigan, who's the chair of the Senate in Homeland Security while he's invested uh, in Raytheon, which is a pure play contractor that receives the majority of its, the vast majority of its revenue. Um, there's also, uh, you know, a significant amount of uh, Senate appropriators, uh, which is um, who who uh, who own stock in defense companies, it includes Republican Shelley Moore Capito, who's also invested in pure play contractors, and Susan Collins, who owns up to $100,000 in Boeing and Raytheon. So there's uh, the, 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 the members of Congress who hold investments tend to have a relevant committee that in turn leads for Congress every year to allocate roughly half of the discretionary budget to the military, and of that roughly half of the military budget to defense contractors. One really neat factoid that I was just looking at um, in preparation for this webinar was that to, to just pick one uh, contractor, Lockheed Martin, a notable one, um, the, the largest uh, federal defense contractor by revenue, and of course the top military contractor. Its revenue has grown since 2001 and the beginning of military operations in Afghanistan by some 60 billion ballpark um, dollars. It's now its annual defense revenue is, de depending on how you calculate it, somewhere around high 60s, 70 uh, billion dollars annually. A jump of 60 billion dollars is a company roughly the size of, say, agricultural giant Archer Daniels Midland or the Walt Disney Company. These are enormous companies. And this is a company that the US Congress and the Department of Defense essentially created and bestowed to Lockheed Martin, while many, many members of Congress were personally receiving annual dividends over the last 20 years that you know, total in the, in the thousands of dollars and investments that total in the hundreds of thousands of dollars in Lockheed Martin, which continues raking in uh, defense cash. Right. And, and someone, uh, I see Robin in the chat uh, going off of that, said despite Lockheed Martin's track record for misconduct, misconduct and, and cost overruns, like even despite all of this, um, does that remain true? And also, is there any discussion of the fact that they're just completely, um, they have basically no oversight over how this money is spent? Yeah. Is that ever discussed in Congress? Robin's question is right on. The, 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 the flagship of uh, Lockheed Martin's cost overruns is the very troubled F-35 fighter, which is cost of ballooned to far over a uh, trillion dollars. It's been um, uh, approved for a plane that's only flown a percentage of its, um, of its, of its planned hours. Uh, many members are invested in, in Lockheed Martin. I think the, the total is a, over a quarter of a million dollars is currently held by members of Congress in Lockheed Martin stock. And the, uh, in fact, many of the members who make the key decisions are continuing to cheer on Lockheed Martin even now. In the Sludge article, you'll see links to recent op-eds and tweets from Senator Blunt, who continues to cheer on Lockheed Martin and with Republican senators call for continued investment in the kind of defense contractors and as well as the, the technology for export that Lockheed Martin makes. Uh, Carly, in response to your question, the, um, there is pushback uh, among um, progressives, especially in the House, progressive Democrats. Last year did prompt one of the first recent votes against the continually ballooning Pentagon budget. That was in the summer, uh, midsummer last year during the, at the 
in some ways the height of the pandemic during this during the summer last year, a proposed cut um, of the Pentagon budget by 10% that did not succeed in either the House or the Senate. But there, there was some initial pushback um, from these group of progressive Democrats who were outvoted by the majority of House Democrats who voted with Republicans. Even now, however, it's important to sort of catch up to this Congress in the current state of things because it's budget season and people are looking ahead to next year. Currently, uh, the Biden administration proposed a budget that's in a slight increase over the last year of the Trump administration and congressional uh, authorizers have proposed a roughly $24 billion increase on top of that. So congressional uh, appropriators led by Democrats in both chambers have done what's called a plus up on the military budget and are seeking to raise it above what the administration initially proposed. The full uh, Congress will vote on that proposal about later this month as expected, but the, major the majority of Democrats on key defense committees in each the House and the Senate are leading the charge to pad the defense budget with yet more uh, tens and hundreds of billions of dollars, much of which will go to defense contractors like Raytheon and Northrop Grumman. Exactly. I mean, I think that's so important to mention. Um, the House Armed Services Committee just had this vote and 14 Democrats uh, joined their Republican colleagues in adding, like you said, another 25 billion on top of what President Biden asked for. And I think it's really important that we know the names of those 14 Democrats and we understand who those people are and why they're advocating to add so much money to the Pentagon budget. So we're now going to take a short musical break. Um, since we've talked a little bit about the importance of history and having a very clear historical memory, um, at the top of the show, I wanted to take a break with History Eraser by Courtney Barnett. I got drunk and fell asleep atop the sheets, but luckily I left the heater on. Any of my dreams, I wrote the best song that I've ever written. Can't remember how it goes. I stayed drunk and fell awake. I was cycling on the plane, and far away I heard you say you liked me. We drifted to a party cool. The people went to art school. They made their paints by mixing acid.
the sun And in the taxi home I'll sing you a triplet song Presented by WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, D.C. Now let's return to this excellent conversation with David Moore, who's the co-founder of Sludge, which is an investigative newsroom focused on money and politics. And I just, you know, wanted to ask you, David, all of this information about members of Congress who are personally invested in weapons manufacturers and military contractors is really shocking, right? So I guess the question is, why isn't there more publicity around this? Why doesn't this come up when members are running for re-election? Mm-hmm. I can um, sort of sort of poke at some answers of parts of that, I think. Mm-hmm. The first is that um, the, the, the sprawling Pentagon budget is famously carved up into every congressional district so that contractors source different parts and programs across all 435, 438 congressional districts, which in turn creates the incentive for them to say they're defending jobs by ensuring that uh, a given aircraft carrier or jet engine is not on, so to speak, on the, so to speak, on the, on the table to be um, wound down and reduced um, out things, you know, the kind of, the kind of causes of military spending that have, have fueled everything from the, 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 the last two decades, incredible spending on foreign military bases or um, military equipment that gets passed down to local police forces and others. So, so the first thing to keep in mind is that for members of Congress, there's the, uh, and there's, uh, some of the incentives are difficult sometimes to talk about uh, the military budget if there's a contractor in their district that's, that touts, its, um, that touts its, its manufacturing jobs. Of course, investing in other uh, areas has been shown by research to be far more productive, not to mention less polluting than the tremendously polluting effects of the US military. There's another effect that I'll I'll sort of briefly get at, which is that when people think about the military and how it has such a stranglehold over congressional appropriators, I'll encourage them to think about the revolving door and if uh, the revolving door, especially among the top military brass who move to defense contractors and are rewarded with million dollar board seats and executive uh, positions, as well as other kinds of compensation that ensures that their, their stock um, portfolios are well padded after they leave uh, the Department of Defense. There's a report from the, the watchdog group called POGO. It's called Brass Parachutes. Brass Parachutes is a memorable name, but I encourage folks to look it up from a couple of years ago that really identifies the revolving door as a key fact and how the military exerts its pressure over lawmakers in their offices on the Hill. If you think about something like the pharma industry that really, you know, spends a ton of cash, it's got cash and throws it at elections. Or if you think about the big banks 
who have such a savvy lobbying operation and have contacts in every office um, for the financial industry. The, the defense industry, uh, in addition to you know, making campaign contributions to key um, defense officials, really is, is powered by its influence um, through the revolving door and through especially uh, moving hundreds of high-level defense officials uh, into contracting positions in these specialized industries and they, that they know so well. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of extend that a little bit, I guess another question that I'm interested in, and I think some people are also hinting at in the in the comments when they're talking about how this is really just demonstrating the almost, it feels like the almost total corporate capture of our politicians. Um, I'm wondering if um, you have a sense of how much money, like comparatively, how much money Congress people who are invested in military contractors receive? How does that compare to, say, like other corporate stocks that they might be invested in? Right? Is, and you know, similar to just the almost total, um, uh, you know, corporate capture of the Pentagon budget? Is that the? Do you see that something similar happening across other um, budgets in the in the U.S. government? Mm -hmm. The the capture of the defense and the capture by the defense industry of the, the, the House and Senate Armed Services Committee is unique because after all, these are the industries that get, the, the, as we've been discussing, get the majority of their revenue from the annual defense bill and annual supplemental spendings that, you know, these, these amounts, these contracts that, uh, you know, total in the billions and tens of billions and add up into the hundreds of billions every year. Members of Congress and their stock portfolios, it's difficult information to get a comprehensive picture on. I can share, um, again, my screen again briefly because our uh, independent newsroom sludge has tackled that question before uh, in a September 20, 2019 article that looked across different stock investments in business sectors. Here you can see that the, the lead was in financial stocks with a significant amount in communications and electronics. Defense was relatively modest among senators among these five sectors that we um, that we analyzed at the time. This article uh, is also free to read online so everyone can check more, but the, in comparison to, I'll jump down to the defense um, section. Uh, well, here I'll, in, um, the uh, individuals can find uh, this article's uh, using the headline revealed how US senators invest in the firms they're supposed to regulate. This was a, a joint project that Sledge published with the Guardian and uh, the, the, the different uh, senators' investments across uh, different companies can be found in uh, uh, their, the past here in this visualization. But the, uh, for this year, um, the, the, the current military budget that's going to be voted on, uh, folks can head over to the current article and see if their reps are listed here uh, as a stockholder and encourage their uh, representatives ahead of um, the vote that's to come this year on the defense authorization bill to discuss how you know owning $130,000 worth of shares in Boeing and Raytheon affects their decision making. Yep, yeah, that, that's really important, thank you. And we'll make sure everyone um, receives a copy of that as well. Um, sort of along those lines, when we're talking about the federal budget, um, someone asked in the chat actually, um, you know, they've heard that the, the Department of Defense is essentially unauditable. Does that have something to do with the fact that, um, you know, people in Congress are not talking or people in the media, et cetera, 
are not talking about this very obvious conflict of interest? Well, here's, I can encourage um, folks to, to check some of the recent reports of, the, of real Pentagon watchdogs, which includes the folks at the Project on Government Oversight or POGO, thanks to the folks who are throwing that, their, the, the name into the chat, as well, um, also our, our um, the most recent Sludge article has quotes from, um, I, I think, I, I, well, f- from the advocacy group Win Without War, which has been uh, active on issues of, you know, contacting. Um, and of course, uh, you know, probably, you know, Code Pink uh, folks might know um, more people to ask about some of that. I can refer, um, I'll throw it back on the screen. I can refer people to this past article in the Washington Post, 2016, the Pentagon buried evidence of 125 billion, that's $25 billion in inefficiency and waste a year for five years. So a total of 125 billion, this is a a tremendous amount of of public and taxpayer funding that's, um, that, you know, if this had been reclaimed in 2016, that money would, would have been back in the public coffers by now. The, the, according to this Washington Post report, um, the Department of Defense uh, buried the internal audit. That's an example of a recent uh, difficulty in uh, oversight of the Department of Defense. And especially also as well, the, anyone can you know, find in recent news coverage, the House Democrats and Republicans are cheering on this $24 billion increase um, in, the base, in, in, in the baseline Department of Defense budget, there, the, the, the trend lines are going in the direction of increased funding for the military, even after uh, the situation in Afghanistan was far from the one that the military experts and the generals um, were portraying to uh, the, the public officials who have the responsibility of asking them questions about the, 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 the tremendously expensive and harmful war in Afghanistan. And, um, the, the war on terror and other places. So the uh, one place that, um, that you know, individuals can, can, can look is for the Defense Spending Reduction Caucus. Uh, that's a group that came together last year to start pushing for um, sort of cuts in the Pentagon budget, uh, mostly progressive Democrats. And uh, you know, in the Senate, some of the names affiliated, of course, are Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, uh, Ed Markey as well. Over in the House, uh, the Congressional Progressive Caucus leaders like Mark Pocan and, um, and uh, Representative uh, Jai Paul and others um, were, have been, you know, have been calling for um, reduced military spending. Uh, they can look to them, their offices, to be able to ask questions of the Department of Defense about how taxpayer dollars are being allocated. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important to bring up. Um, the Defense Spending Reduction Caucus was started by uh, Representative Mark Pocan and Representative Barbara Lee, of course. Um, and two, two pieces of legislation, actually, that I wanted to bring up um, in relation to that. Um, first, uh, Mark Pocan, Representative Mark Pocan, just introduced something called the COVID Defense Act, which actually calls to reallocate um, 1% of 2021's Pentagon spending, which is about $9.6 billion, which is, you know, ridiculous to hear, um, but just $9.6 billion to pay for global vaccine distribution, which um, by, by their accounts would increase global vaccine distribution by 30%. So just demonstrating not only the enormous Pentagon budget that we have, 
But also, right, look what would happen if we actually spent that money on something that's not U.S. militarism, but instead, you know, global solidarity, right? So I think that's a really good demonstration of that. Um, and then also Barbara Lee, she, um, in June of this year, introduced a House Resolution 476, which would, which calls to cut the Pentagon budget by $350 billion and reallocate that spending to um, not only diplomacy efforts, but also social services. Um, and her bill itself, if people read it, and we'll, we'll post a link to it, um, also details a lot of the enormous waste and fraud um, that has, has sort of trickled out of the Pentagon. Um, and, and so I really encourage people to read that as well. Um, so let's see, we have some other um, questions here. You know, another aspect of your article, David, you talk a little bit about divestments. Um, and I wanted to touch on this as well. Um, you highlight some prominent sitting congressmen who have reported divesting um, previously held stock, right? Including Diane Feinstein, um, who right. divested from, from Boeing, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess one question, and I think this gets at some of the other questions in the chat, which is like, what can we do about this? Is there any indication about why um, these representatives actually did divest? Was there pressure on them? We're, we're interested in finding out more about that, but that's, a, that's something that I would encourage the, 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 the folks listening to, uh, to you know, check some of the names that come through in this, in the, they come in the last quarter of uh, the Sledge article and uh, to ask questions to their offices, especially if they're constituents, would they have a higher likelihood of receiving a response? The, um, the official forms often do not um, detail uh, the uh, reason or even as, as much as one would expect the specific date of a sale. The, the periodic transaction reports with information about this, the, the, the sale time um, are often not a complete uh, data set, leaving uh, investigators or, um, like uh, our newsroom somewhat in the dark uh, about uh, the, uh, a senator or representative office who suddenly no longer reports holding um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in Boeing stock as Senator Feinstein does. Um, overall, there is a push among some reformers in Congress to ban Congress from owning and trading individual stocks. The main vehicle of legislation for that is called the Ban Conflicted Trading Act, but there's also an, a couple of other um, uh, uh, individual legislative items that are introduced in this Congress, including another one that's bipartisan as well, just like the Ban Conflicted Trading Act is. Um, folks listening can ask their members of Congress if they're already a co-sponsor of the Ban Conflicted Trading Act, which is introduced in both the House and the Senate. It's got about a dozen co-sponsors in the House or so, you know, about, I have to double check, but only three sponsors in the Senate, I believe, as of this time. Encourage the senators to, 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 to sign on as co-sponsors of the Ban Conflicted Trading Act, which would move their investments into broadly held funds and would prevent senators uh, like Roy Blunt from holding a quarter of a million dollars in Lockheed stock while he cheers on uh, the federal uh, contracts in Lockheed uh, for the F-35 plane that can't fly in rain. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, that was, that was going to be one of actually my next questions is like, what would a, you know, if there are any current um, laws that it, or, or bills that have been introduced in Congress um, that might prevent this sort of obvious conflict of interest, but also, you know, in your mind, what would sort of an ideal law 
look like ideal law look like um, to outlaw these sort of investments? Is it would it just be as simple as saying no Congress people can invest in these companies? How would that actually work? Mm-hmm. The um... The, the Ban Conflicted Trading Act, which is supported in the Senate by uh, Senator Sherrod Brown and Senator Jeff Merkley uh, of Oregon, uh, and they're joined by another senator um, whose name I will double check and get back to get, um, and follow up on that, um, would, would require uh, divestment to broadly held funds. Mutual fund investments would be okay. Other vehicles uh, for reform along this line require blind trusts um, as an additional step, and I think that's a, a pretty strong um, option as well, but uh, ethics experts are um, have been that we've that we've talked to have been generally uh, that we that sludge has talked to in our reporting have been generally supportive of of the ban conflict trading act approach as solid a solid way to prevent lawmakers from the appearance of or actual direct conflict of interest and. There have been, you know, many attempts in the past at raising this, including one uh, during President Obama's first term in office. Um, that was called the Stock Act, and that's a law that's still on the books, but its enforcement was significantly weakened by a follow-up measure that was signed before uh, President Obama's 2012 re-election. So uh, the public is does not have the degree of visibility that they need to, and on top of that, um, senators and representatives shouldn't be able to hold stock in individual companies when they're subject to so much private information. Right, exactly. I mean, I think you know, it, it does just sort of come down right to that. Um, and I think that's really important um, sort of note to end on. It looks like people, we've sort of addressed most of people's questions in the comments, unless there's anything else you see, David, that you wanted to touch on. Um, I think that was everything though. Um, any any last things or, or last comments you wanted to, to make, David? Um, I'll end with sort of two other two other findings from our uh, our story that I think are neat that are um, that are sort of re- you know remarkable examples of the of the the conflicts that at at play here. There is a uh, something called the Joint Strike Fighter Caucus. That's a lot of reps from both sides of the aisle who are convinced that spending more money on the dysfunctional F thirty five plane is more important than investing in climate, healthcare, education, et cetera, et cetera green energy and more. Um, they signed a letter last year calling for continued funding levels of the F-35 or else we're gonna lose, fall behind in capacity. Uh, at least five of the letter signers are personally invested uh, in Lockheed Martin, the, the planes maker, to the tune of nearly $200,000. At that level, they're receiving thousands of dollars in dividends every year. And you can imagine that's a beneficial um, amount for these representatives, um, some of you know, for them to be uh, receiving every year from um, uh, from their stock. And there's um, one other example is that uh, Representative Jerry Connolly of Lytus, he represents the uh, 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 sorry of Virginia. He represents the district um, in Northern Virginia where the defense contractor Lytos is based. And he's held up to half a million dollars investment in the company while the company receives major defense contracts. Um, that's an, an, an incredible example of the, 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 kind of, the kind of thing that passes for normal on Capitol Hill, but that if it was a car dealership in your town, they'd have an ethics rule that would block that from happening. Um, I encourage uh, folks again to, to, to check our tables of 
the reps who own stock and ask questions of their office, raise it in letters to the editors, and please continue doing the activism that you're doing so that there can be wider public awareness of the, the immense spending um, on weapons and the way that the Pentagon budget uh, jumps up every year uh, when uh, so many pressing needs in our, our schools and our uh, environment. Yeah, thank you, David. I think that's a, a sort of beautiful way to start closing us out here. And, and sort of on that note of what can we actually do about it, um, you know, I did want to highlight um, quickly um, one of Code Pink's tools that we actually use um, that people can actually take directly to their um, congressional representative and actually ask them, um, in this case, to stop taking campaign contributions from military contractors and the NRA. But, um, you know, using the, the knowledge from David's piece, you could also bring um, a request that they stop personally investing in those uh, weapons manufacturers or, or military contractors broadly. Um, so with that, I think that's everything that we wanted to, to chat about today. I want to thank you again, David, for, for joining us. This has been really helpful. I'm, I'm very excited that everyone here got a chance to hear more about your research. And um, we can make sure that people have your contact information as well, right? Yes, please do. I, I um, welcome folks to, to drop me more of a note. I'd love to be in correspondence. And anyone can sign up for our free newsletter um, about uh, our money and politics links at readsludge.com slash newsletter. And it, uh, we send a couple of times a month with our, our stories and more. So that's readsludge.com slash newsletter. This is Carly with Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, DC. If you have listened to this episode and agree that we need to take on the US war machine and want to get more involved in our Divest from the War Machine campaign, you can always contact us at divest at codepink.org to learn more about our campaigns at the municipal, university, and congressional levels to take on weapons manufacturers in our own communities. Or if you're interested in learning more about our resources, our current campaigns to cut the Pentagon, you can always go to www.cutthepentagon.org. Our Divest from the War Machine campaign emphasizes that if we're going to end war, we need to end war for profit. And we need to stop letting our politicians be bought and sold by the very companies that stand to gain by an ever-increasing Pentagon budget. If you agree, the good news is you can do something about it. You can go to www.codepink.org slash divestcongress to contact your representative today and demand that they stop taking campaign contributions from these weapons companies and commit to reducing the Pentagon budget. Again, you can go to www.codepink.org slash divestcongress. So that about wraps up our program for today. Again, this is Carly with Code Pink Radio presented by WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington DC. Until next time, peace. Bush and Bin Laden, you think they're foes? They're in business together. Danny Bush knows the Carlisle Group since years before. Been raking in billions and itching for more. It's blood for oil. We know there's a link. They say code war. We say code peace. Code pink, go pink, the freedom, go pink.
feed you lies Don't want you to think They say code terror We say code pink Code pink For freedom Code pink For peace Code pink To hunger and war have ceased Code pink For women Boys, men and girls Together we'll make peace Bush tried to stop us from taking the street And Ashcroft was our phone. Places we meet, they curtail our speech. Our 